Hello, everyone. It's Cindy Novotny back for another incredible episode of My Secrets to Stamina. For any new listeners, welcome. I'm thrilled to have you join us. And to all of you who are loyally following me, welcome back. Many of you know I've been talking for over a year now on this platform about what my secrets are, like living with no balance and loving it. I've had some amazing guests, and I will continue to bring you the best of the best. I love the fact that everyone who's listening to this podcast, no matter what role they play in life, wants to improve their life every day. You know, I I think about it this way. Everybody has a dream. Everyone's on a journey. And my goal is to help you be the successful person you want to be and live the life you want. They've deemed me the radical mentor, and I will help you live your life without the standard definition of balance and have the stamina to do it all. So let's do this. So today... I'm going to introduce you to my friend of many years, a guru in the world of people, culture, and travel, Mr. Tim Kirkpatrick. Oh, yes. Tim and I are going to talk about it all. We've worked together. We're going to talk about all the things he's done, his life in the hospitality industry, how he is probably one of the better motivators of people I have known, both from a leadership side of business, in sales and in marketing, but more importantly, in HR, because he knows how to motivate, maintain relationships. And I also know he has many secrets to stamina. So today I'm joined by this friend who I've known for so many years, and I cannot wait to have you hear from him. So again, welcome, Tim. Uh, it's great to be here, Cindy. Thank you for having me. Um, it has been a while. Like I talked about you recently and I met you when I started in sales and it was at a meeting. We were in Atlanta and I was so excited because I heard so much about you. And I literally sat in my chair, gripping the bottom, waiting till you'd finish so I could change the world. Then I also was alerted that you sing. And at the end <laughs> of it, you said, don't rain on my parade, acapella, like like a Grammy award-winning artist. So it's so good to be with you. And I cherish our friendship and our working relationship. Oh, thank you. I got goosebumps on Don't Rain in My Parade. I mean, those were the days, right? Where we'd yes. finish a class, we'd have like a graduation dinner and, you know, do some cheers with wine and, you know, take it from there. I love that. That was my my theme song, which it still is. It's about the only one I can sing, but I do have to sing it a cappella because I can't actually stay in tune if I don't sing it alone. Uh, so let's go ahead. And there's a lot of people that are in the industry that will know you, but there's many people in our industry and outside our industry that that don't know you that well. So share a little bit about your background for us and your journey. Sure. Um, I grew up in Buffalo, moved to Boston after I graduated from college and started the Ritz-Carlton uh, 33 years ago in this business as a tea lounge server. And I, I love it. I love this business. It affords such a robust, <laughs> in looking back now, history of things to talk about. And then I was a banquet server and banquet captain, helped Ritz-Carlton get through all of the questions of what you needed to do for the Malcolm Baldrige National Quality Award. And then when my son was born, I thought, okay, it's time to do something different and ended up in catering, comfort services and group sales. And it was such a great time. And, you know, people would ask me about why you switching from banquets. And when you have the operations background, it really helps you sell because you know what works, you, you know what doesn't work. And then I ended up in HR in 2000 and it really was a result of happiness. So we took the employee satisfaction survey And the sales team ranked their work environment like a one out of five. 
one of the worst in the hotel. And what struck me was the stewarding team who works in the sub basement and not great conditions all the time. And they scored their work environment a five out of five. And I thought, you know what? This was a moment. I sat at my desk and I thought, you're really in charge of your own happiness. We are in the driver's seat. And I felt like, you know, you accept what you are given and then certainly take over and the things that you can change. And Shiny Happy People was like the big song of the time. And I created a theme and I went to see our director of sales, uh, Barbara Lutz. I'm like, I can help. And so we get the people in the room, all the salespeople, and some of the things were just like, we don't have filing cabinets. I'm like, oh, okay, we could do that. So we had a pizza party on a Friday night with all the admin staff and they, the salespeople came back out Monday to five new empty filing cabinets. So it was great. I'm like, you really don't need 15 years of knowing that Patty from Fidelity doesn't like uh, scented flowers on her registration table. We already know that. And it was that moment that um, John, who was our HRD, he, he thought, oh, we think he'd be really good at training and development. So in 2000, I started as a director of training and development. And I loved it, opened six to its Carlton's. And then also with you, your team, your team was running the Ritz-Carlton Learning Institute, and I would do speaking engagements on behalf of Ritz-Carlton because of the Malcolm Baldrige National Quality Award winning, and I loved it. Like, I would go to those things so competitive and so interactive, and it was just, it was so much fun. And then I reached a point where I'm like, okay, it's time to grow my career and ended up as assistant director of HR and then a director of HR, um, moved to New Orleans and... Uh, did some work there, went to DC, worked for a core for a little bit. And then I um, came back to Boston at this hotel where I am now at the Park Plaza, where I started, you know, here 15 years ago. And I left and did some other things, worked for Mortgage Hotel Group. Then I worked for the Palace and then took a little diversion from our business. But the parallel is something we could talk about in a little bit at Apple. And then um, from Apple, I met Ian Schrager. And uh, worked for him, uh, opening his brand of Hotels Public. And then I met someone, fell in love, moved to Paris. And then I worked with you as one of the consultants on your team. And I, it was so much fun. And then uh, came back to Boston to be with my family and uh, open a hotel. And then uh, what my current job is now. I, I love it. And, you know, I think about your energy and how, I mean, other than me, you and I talk so fast and you just did like, you know, a gazillion years in five minutes. I love it. And that's, that's how I roll. And I remember those days with the Ritz-Carlton Learning Institute and what fun we had. And I think that did give you, you know, when you took a diversion outside of the hospitality industry and when I met up with you in Paris and you, you know, with Apple, but then working for that client of ours and helping her uh, really launch a brand new entrepreneurial type of business over in London uh, and, and throughout Europe. And you would commute from Paris, you know, over to meet with her in London. I think that whole Ritz-Carlton Learning Institute gave you so much of a look, as it did me, on how business runs. It doesn't matter if it's technology or if it's construction or if it's hospitality. Many people copy our industry because let's be honest, Tim, we work harder than most people in any other industry. And everybody thinks they're just overwhelmed and over the top. And then, you know, we'll walk into any one of the real estate companies or law firms and we're like, wow, I, I'm not actually that tired. Right. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. It's completely amazing. So let's take a moment now. And because you in your HR role, 
you know the great resignation is real, uh, it's happening, but you have this ability to build relationships uh, with so many people, whether it is stewarding, whether it is housekeepers, it's not just about the the C-level suite. So talk a little bit about the importance of how you've built those relationships. And and I want everybody listening to think about your, your business as he speaks, because human resources is not just a department. To me, it is like it's it. It is probably one of the biggest areas that was overlooked for so long. It's not just payroll and benefits. So talk a little bit about that. Uh, yes. Um, I, you know, it's funny when I left sales and went to HR, people said, aren't you going to miss your customers? And I said, you know what? I have 800 new ones. And that's how I always saw this job is these are our customers and we need to give them what we would give to our external customers. And it, it really is important to do that. I think there's so much that centers around trust. It really becomes the axis of what we do. And what does that mean? And I think in, in some cases, it means really delivering on promises, making sure people feel heard, because at the end of a meeting, that person might still have discipline or they might still not you know be working with us anymore and we'll help them with their resume and have them move on. And you know I came to the hotel I'm in right now I started 15 years ago, left 12 years ago, and they remember. I mean, every time I turn a corner right now, they're like, oh my God, Tim. And it's, you know, it's a union shop. And because I developed these relationships by listening, by trusting them, by making sure their voice was heard, simple things, but when you really do it in a genuine way, it makes a huge difference. And what happened was when I started here, there were hundreds of grievances and we, we, we worked through all of them. And when I left, there were only a couple and anything that came up, issues that came up, they came directly to me. We met together, we talked through the issues and came to resolution. And there was such a, an amount, a great amount of trust that that's how we were able to do it. And then you have a following and people kind of hear about what you do and how you lead and how you manage the department. And that helps, you know, tremendously. And you mentioned the great resignation. And yes, it, it's happening. It continues to happen. You know, people really took the time over COVID to reevaluate their lives, look at our business and think, what, what else can they do? Some people boomeranged right back because it is so much fun and so much passion around what we do. And um, I think things that when we were recruiting to open a new hotel, we opened a hotel and hired 600 people. And how did we do that? Well, part of it was the relationships that we have, the relationships that managers had with employees. There was a following. And then we had to be competitive with salaries. We had to be accessible. And then we had a really robust diversity, equity, and inclusion plan and worked with the community. And having that presence in the community, doing the outreach, all the things that we did, we were able to find people. And then keeping them, to your, your point, is that, you know, how, do you have the relationship? Are you recognizing them? Are we doing a great job with now kind of a hybrid workforce in terms of who can work from home and are we providing the right infrastructure there? And again, you, when, you know, before COVID, no one would ever let anyone work from home. And I think fundamentally it boils down to trust. And if you don't trust your employees, then you probably have a bigger problem. Right, right. And that brings me to it. You know, you've said this saying all along and you say, people shall forevermore remember how you made them feel. So I think you agree with me that a lot of people lose sight of this. I mean, you know, you and I, here's an example of a relationship that you and I've had 
over many decades. And we have literally, we are who we are, but talk a little bit about that and people that you see in our industry. And obviously we see the good, the bad, and the ugly, but you know, people that there are people that have just burned some bridges and, and they think like, you won't forget that. Right. Exactly. And yeah, I, I mean, I met you in the mid nineties and I remember I was moving to Paris. I applied for like hundreds of jobs and I understood it. No, like nobody, you know, I don't speak French and I'm not from the country. I don't know the labor law. So I totally understood that. Then I reached out to you and you called me back like within minutes on the airplane. And you're like, Oh my God, we would love to have you. You'll be my person in Europe and we could do these things. And then I was able to build out this entire platform of human resources for the startup of the client we had in London. And it was just so much fun. And, you know, I think that people really do lose sight and it, it boils down to a, a lot of, uh, of emotional intelligence and being self-aware. And one thing that I really focused on recently is, is the whole uh, self, you know, the, the self-management and how we harness our emotions. And yes, you know, things can make us angry. Things can make us mad and people leave their bosses. And, you know, I really believe as you do, and, and I think this is what strengthens our bond together, that people don't forget how you've made them feel. And even if you disagree, uh, just understanding and respectfully having an open mind to hear another person's point of view makes a huge difference. And we may not agree on, you know, how business is done or how we should approach something, but we take a moment and take a breath and hear what that person's point of view is. And it makes a big difference. And I learned from you from doing the, the, the learning Institute speaking engagements and all of that stuff about how to really touch people through storytelling, through sharing, through understanding and making sure that, the one thing that we have full control over is our reputation and making sure that we, we guard that, we covet that, and our brand of ourself is something we always work on. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's where authenticity, I think being who mm -hmm. you are, being able to be comfortable in your own skin, uh, being okay saying, uh, okay, I blew that. Um, I hear uh, from people on my team that you're going to be featured in Passport Magazine. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, focusing on the LGBTQ community. Talk a little bit about that. You know, it's really fun. I They were doing a segment at the last hotel I was at, and they asked me to uh, do a feature. And I had to respond to like, I don't know, probably 35, 40 questions. And one of them had to do with you know, storytelling and things that we do. And I was latching on to something that I used to tell when I talked about the, the credo at the Ritz-Carlton about personalized service. And one of my first clients, her name was Sonia Lowe, and um, she would come to tea dance every Thursday. And I talked about this in the article and it really, they were blown away by it. And so my first, I was training and then like the second or third week that I started the person who trained me was gone. I'm like, oh my God, those guys are coming. So Sonia Lowe would walk in. She was, you know, she was a Holocaust survivor, beauty queen, professional skier. And she would bring in this entourage of people on Thursdays to the Ritz-Carlton. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to wait on them. And what are they going to order? And I was kind of nervous about it. And she says, I'd like a red Dubonnet on the rocks. I'm like, hmm, I could do that. Everyone else ordered like a glass of wine, a beer. And I'm like, okay, not so bad. Kid from Buffalo, I can handle this. <laughs> so I go to the bar, I get the drinks, go back to the table, deliver them all around. And then she calls me back and she's like, you. 
And I'm like, oh my God, this is gonna, <laughs> where it falls apart, right? So then she goes, uh, this is wrong. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you ordered a uh, red juvenile on the rocks. And she said, I did, but you must make love to my drink. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I go back in the kitchen. I think you're smart. You can handle this. So I get like all these different parts. I have a, a stem glass instead. I have a little j- jigger of red juvenile. I put the ice in a rock glass and a lemon twist all on the side, all the parts. So I go back to the table. I drop the ice in one at a time, really slowly. Then I take the red juvenile and I go around really slowly. And I'm thinking, man, I hope she doesn't order another one of these because I don't know if I have that time. Then I take the twist and I twist it around and drop it in the drink and I put it in front of her and she goes, that's how you make love to my drink. So when you talk about personalized service, it's still a red duvernay on the rocks, but it's how she wanted it. And it I'm always never going to think of a red duvernay. I'm never <laughs> going to think of it the same. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's, it's really fun. And, uh, you know, the Passport Magazine, they asked me about, you know, places that are good for brunch and all this other stuff. So it's really exciting to be featured in as an LGBT leader in this publication and really encourage people to, to get out there and to feel confident, which a lot of that started with me building that confidence with, you know, the, the presentations that I did with you. And it also becomes a recruiting thing. So we often think about recruiting and HR in, in one lane. And it's not about just reaching out when you need to hire five people at the front desk. It is constantly being out there about anything, making yourself visible. I remember a, a, on, or a, it was a virtual program you were doing with some of the people at the last hotel I worked at, and you were talking about LinkedIn. And sometimes companies are a little fearful of people putting it out there. But you know, you used me as an example. Like Tim's on LinkedIn all the time. Like, tell, hey, we're doing this or we're doing that, and networking. And it isn't just one time that you do it. It's a whole marketing strategy. And this Passport Magazine article is just another piece where you're reaching a whole nother community to say, hey, this person's in the hotel business. These are recommendations they're making. Here's some funny little stories they tell. And they kind of get to know you as a human being, which makes them want to ask, hey, you know what? Maybe I'd like to work with that person or that group because you're creating some excitement. And you know, that example of that, um, another hotel that you were at, I remember that like yesterday, because remember I was getting, you are, were, you know, you were head of HR. I was dealing with salespeople and I was getting pushback on, well, we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do that. I said, excuse me. And you, one of your salespeople or your director was on the actual, you know, virtual mm-hmm. session I was teaching. And I said, is Tim around? Go get Tim. <laughs> and I think they went and got you and you stuck your head in on the, you know, virtual and said, we do this all the time. We encourage. And, you know, your social media throughout, you know, opening hotels and even through the pandemic was so robust, um, like, like mine. And I do agree that helped you build the trust of people that wanted to work for you and you applaud people and they come to work and you, you highlight them and you talk about them as a person. And I think that's where authenticity comes into play. You know, it is about the sincere and, and meaningful ways to be able to work together. So I think that that is great. Um, I also, you know, when you think about it, my secret to stamina, you know, people think I just live on jet fuel, you know, fumes. I mean, they can't, (laughs) nobody can understand how I keep going, but I chose this life. I chose to live this way. 
I love it. You know, I, I have so many people talk about, oh, you've got to try to be happy. Well, I am happy and I love working and I can't imagine me doing anything else. But when it comes to you and your personal life and how it blends into work life, how do you define balance and what are some of your secrets to stamina? Well, Cindy, I am looking at my fingernails right now and they are painted with purple nail polish. And <laughs> only you, Tim. <laughs> I know, right? So I had dinner with my granddaughters last night and they wanted to practice with, you know, hair, makeup and fingernail polish. And they're biracial. So we have special products we use in their hair and they're like, well, now we get to use it on yours. And, and then we have this new nail polish we want to try. And I think it's important to have fun, really. Yeah. And and make the time to do it. And, you know, it's funny because I, I promised them I would be there at a certain time. And someone came to see me yesterday from the YMCA wanting to give us free passes for the employees. And, you know, and I said, I kind of put a time limit on it. Like I need to leave here at a certain time in my mind. And then as we were nearing that time, I said to the person, I'm like, I, you know, I need to excuse myself. I have a hard stop at this time. And I think part of the balance is putting some boundaries around it because we we're such social people, like we could go on and on and on and on. Um, and then, you know, the day could go by and you forget everything else. So I think that's one of the keys for me is to just put time frame, time frames on it. And then during COVID, like one of the things that I attended was a, a webinar and it was, I forgot the woman's name, but she talked about this like five second thing. Like if you want to do something and you're laying in bed and you want to go to the gym, like she said, count to five. And when you hit five, get up. And so I do it. And yeah. so that's another thing, like really making sure you budget that time. I read something once that said, you wouldn't miss a meeting with your boss. So why would you miss a meeting for the gym or to have breakfast or even to journal or whatever it is you choose to do is managing that time. Um, I think that's a big reason why I moved back to Boston to be with my family and be here to support the girls. And, um, and I, you know, I think that they bring so much joy. Now, I'm going to be a certain age in a couple of weeks. And it was a little crazy, but I promised my granddaughter, the little one, she's seven, that I would get her a golden retriever puppy. So guess what? I have a golden retriever puppy. Uh, I don't recommend okay. it in your, in your mid-50s, but uh, she's so cute. And it just brings my granddaughter immeasurable joy. And it's it's just so great. So it's just bringing all that together and thinking about what's important to you. Like I love to read, I love to write, and I section off a little bit of time to do that each week. And, you know, it's just balancing all of it in a way that works. Now you can't always make a calendar appointment for everything. It needs to pop in where it pops in, but peeling back and making sure you protect some time for what's important to you is really helps keeps, helps, helps to keep me energized I also just bought an espresso machine for the afternoon. Uh, pick me up here, <laughs> some jet fuel. I love it. Yeah. And you know, this is, I'm doing more time management now. It's, I feel like I'm back 10 years ago when we would teach all yeah. this time management. And I laugh because, you know, back in the day, I always think about, you know, Marriott hotels, they always had the day timer, you know, all that I work for mm -hmm. Weston, but they, the Marriott people all had the day timer and it was hilarious. But I think that my, my way of looking at is time blocking. I just know mm -hmm. I have to do things that I've got it this morning. I had to be on a call at six o'clock in the morning and it just had to happen at six. And I knew I had from six until 7.30 period to be able to get these things done because then I, I literally, I work from home from six till 7.30, got ready for my eight o'clock call. When you block it out like that, 
then you can, you have, you don't have that much anxiety. And I think that's one of the things that causes people so much stress is that they don't block out and say, I can't do this. So I'm going to have to, you know, do this tomorrow between this time and this time. So I agree. Now, let me just talk a little bit about your leadership positions because you've had several. I mean, we've talked about it in sales and in catering and operations, um, obviously now HR. But you, again, we're going to go back to Apple because I think some people think that, you know, hospitality is so different. And I'm trying to recruit all these, you know, kids, even out of high school, because not everybody wants to go to college. Not everybody wants to get a hotel degree. Not everybody wants to get any kind of degree. They just want to go to work. And I think that the hospitality industry has done a poor job of promoting that just to work in a hotel doesn't mean you have to be a waiter, that you can grow into so many positions without a college degree. So even at Apple, you know, what are your thoughts on what a true leader really looks like today? Right. I think that, you know, it goes back to when Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak created Mac and they did it in a garage and it's their coveted baby. And how do you... It, you know, make sure everyone's on the same page with culture. And I think people who could leave, lead with authenticity, with consistency, that really makes a difference. And they actually went to the hospitality business. So when you see in an Apple store before they open, everyone's in those little blue shirts and they're all around the corner. They're talking about the piece of credo. They're talking about their philosophy. And I remember, you know, I think a, a, another good point for leadership is when you could course correct. And when Apple came out with the watch, I was working with them at the time as an HR person, and they had it so prescripted because, remember this, I mean, there was no point in an Apple store, they would actually touch a customer. And now they're having to put a watch on their wrist. So they put this like, you know, 50 point thing together to say, hey, you need to like open this flap and then wipe the watch down and then have the customer turn their wrist over and teach them how to latch it. And they forgot about what was great about Apple. So I think when a, when a leadership a leadership team can admit, hey, you know what, we, were, we did something a little wrong, we kind of need to course correct, change gears and listen to our employees. So in those meetings, that's why I bring that up. It was actually the employees that came back and said, you know, when they're buying a computer or you're buying a laptop, you go into an Apple store and think, I'm going to spend $3,500. I'm going to get all the bells and whistles. And then when you go into an Apple store, what do they ask you? Well, they ask you, well, what are you going to use that for? I'm like, uh, my email and music. And they're like, you don't need all that. So you end up spending, you know, far less. And when it got to the watch, they really lost sight of of that, you know, not asking people like, well, what are the health benefits you're looking for? And, you know, what will you be using the watch for? And will you need to connect that with your phone service? And it was the employees that got together and brought that to leadership and they changed it. So to me, that's one thing. And then the connection, Angela Aarons was in charge of, um, you know, in charge of retail at that time. And she sent a little video every Friday to all Apple employees, everybody. And through the internet. And she talked about, sometimes it was, you know, praising people for doing a great job, talking about how the financial performance of Apple was, admitting when there's a mistake and saying, hey, you know what, we didn't order enough of this, but here's our plan. And then kind of tapping people on the button saying, hey, you know what, we need to get with it. We're seeing a trend in customer satisfaction score. So I think the communication and being accessible, no matter how big your company is, I mean, there were 60,000 employees 
who were part of Apple at that time. And yet when she walked into a store, everyone felt like they knew her. So finding creative ways to make sure you're approachable and you're accessible and that you're communicating the truth. Yes. Oh, I mean, that is so, I mean, that's why lineup, which I embed, I mean, every day at 815 and our team, we do it faithfully. And when people give me pushback on that, I just want to scream from the rooftop because it is the one thing that connects everyone together at the beginning of every day, have a little fun, jump, start the day and get on with it. And then those little weekly updates. I mean, and it's so ironic because when you think about Apple and what you just said about her, then you look at, you know, I just watched the Hulu video on the dropout, you know, with, with mm-hmm. that Elizabeth Holmes and the Theranos, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. everything opposite. Okay. Like don't tell anybody what's going on, have a secret, have a secret place, have a secret lab, keep it all quiet. And look, <laughs> we all know what the end of that story was. Right. So yeah. I think that is so, so unbelievable. So I want to I want to just uh, continue a little bit before we start to wrap it up on recruiting, because I do know that, you know, you're big. At, well, we're all big on diversity, equity and inclusion. Who isn't? I always say that, you know, I was kind of all about that before all about that was even cool. You know, we didn't have but- DEI. We didn't go around with initials. I think that it's an everyday, all day learning. And, and again, I'm going to go back to if you're a nice person and you have manners and you want to recruit the best talent, not, not what you look like, where you're from, but I'm going to recruit the best person, then usually you're going to get the results you want. And it shouldn't all fall on HR. I think recruiting and and diversity and all of that should should fall on everyone to to talk about it, understand it, and live that role um, because it really, as I believe, is more of a marketing role as well. So, what's uh, your your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it continues to evolve. I mean, human resources is really moving more and more into a consult in consultancy, and you're finding a lot of that automated things happening on the non-value adding work, like signing up for benefits and all of that. And I have found, especially now more than ever, recruiting is, it's not an HR function. It is a marketing function. And luckily we've been seeing more of an evolution toward marketing people partnering with human resources. And so with with uh, the hotels I'm in now, it's, it's working with the DEI organizations using the relationships you have with them, making sure you're working a little bit deeper. Like our our commitment is that if if we don't hire someone that you put forward to us, let's talk about it. Like, do they need help with interviewing skills? It's like a muscle when you don't do it and you do it one time, we might be walking away from a really great candidate because they're a lousy at interviewing because they've never done it or they're scared or they're nervous. They lack confidence, don't know how to storytell. Etc. And then the marketing piece is working old and new school. So we, you know, you do social media, you do TikTok videos, like all this fun stuff to get your message out there to make sure people know about your organization, your brand, and and what you're looking for, what positions are open. And then we have even taken fun flyers that are artistic and have QR codes and things that you and I never heard of back in the day. Right. And we're (laughs) <laughs> we're posting in the subway stops and then, you know, around the corner from churches to, you know, encourage people to come in from the neighborhood to say, Hey, we got this. Yeah. Um, one thing, yeah. And we do a lot of education around what is the hotel business about? You can grow an entire career in a bunch of different disciplines under one roof. 
working yeah. with accounting, sales, marketing, fine, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I agree. And I think your background, you know, it alludes to that. You know, I think I remember you told me you got uh, certified as a cognitive behavior therapist, I believe. Is that right? I did during, during COVID. I always wanted to be a psychologist because I wanted to figure out like what makes people tick? How can you, you know, be a voice for someone and, and be there for them? And it was this really, it was, God, I don't know. I spent probably a few weeks really dedicated to the training and then got a certificate and I was so proud of it. But some of the tools that I, I gathered and learned, I was surprised on one hand that so many of them I kind of used already and now it's more formalized and, and in here. And then I thought, you're not really technically a therapist when you're in human resources, but there are definitely skills that you need and tools that you need from that. And that's why I was drawn to it, that you could use and in, in being patient and hearing what people have said and what kind of questions really provoke a, a deeper answer. You know, you think about probing and some of the things that, that you teach in the sales piece, um, you know, how do you get to the truth? How do you get to a place where you can help people be their best selves? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, I think all of those things where you continue to learn and you continue to change and you continue to be curious. I think too many people get to a point like, oh, I've been there, done that. I've, you know, I, I've traveled the world. I've had 87 jobs. I speak 12 languages and they stop and forget that, wow, like tomorrow is going to be a little different than today. And the only way to get better is to really to think differently. So that that's totally cool. I love that. So as I wrap up, are there any other stories or tips that our listeners can hear from you of just being a better version of yourself? I mean, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this episode up? Because it's been great. I know. Thank you. Um, you know, if I were to say one thing, in addition to that, during COVID, I took a, a certificate class in hospitality from Florida Atlantic University. And because I thought, oh, I've worked in the hotel business for so long. I don't need that. Well, the things I learned still to this day, keep hungry for information. And what I also was able to experience was really this beautiful story. There's an author, Charles Brian Minton, who was also a presenter. He wrote a book called Thanks for Coming In Today. And he was working in a hotel and there was this young guy that worked at the front desk and he would come in every day and shake everyone's hand that he worked with and say, thanks for coming in today. Just this positive energy. And you know, the, the manager was like, what is this guy's a little crazy? What is he doing? And then he kind of got it. And then he sat down with me. He said, why do you do that? And he goes, you know what? It's a choice. Some days we have good days. Some days we don't have good days. We have problems to solve. And we make a difference for people every day. And he goes, I choose to be my best self and start my day with gratitude and really showing it. And he thought, you know what? That's magic. So the he got uh, Minton, this, he got promoted, was a GM in some hotel in, in uh, Ohio. And then he reached out to this guy and said, hey, come and work with me. And the, the story ends a little bit tragically where he got a call from the girlfriend and the guy got, was in a car accident and died. And wow. so, so Charles made a commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to write a book. And he did. And he dedicated it to this guy. Um, and it was just such a beautiful story because I thought, you know what, we can, we can have the power to make such a difference in everyone's day. And, you know, in honor of this guy, Jason, I think we can come in each day, choose our attitude, choose who we are and really celebrate each other. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming in today. 
Thanks for coming and thanks for spending the time, Tim. Thank you. <laughs> oh my so gosh, I've loved every minute. I love these me stories. Too. So I would love everyone to join me for my next episode as I invite a fellow boss babe that actually reached out to me, Lisa Morton. She's the founder and CEO of Roland Dransfield. They are an integrated PR and marketing agency with offices in Manchester, which I love Manchester because I spent a lot of time up there with Barclays, London and Los Angeles. Their business is about people and relationships. So join me on my next episode as Lisa and I talk about purposeful relationships and how to amplify your voice by being a community champion. So again, thanks so much and until next time.